0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Ah, Welcome. Uh, You've been listening to The Ruminations Show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Uh, Welcome to The Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Uh, Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to start the show by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit 3CR's people-powered radio. Uh, Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week we're talking about recovering from alcoholism and how support from a 12-step group like Alcoholics Anonymous can make a real difference. Uh, I'd like to welcome Chrissy. Hi. And Michael. Hi. Into the studio this afternoon. They're members of Alcoholics Anonymous and will share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Uh, Chrissy, um, you're a daughter of an alcoholic as well as an alcoholic. Yes. So do you want to tell us a bit about how that all started for you?
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bill. Um, okay, so I'm Chrissy, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, and I'm really grateful to be sober today. Um, It all started for me, you're right, my father is a functioning alcoholic, Um, so are my sort of aunties and a lot of uh, the members, that side of my family basically, um, are alcoholic. Lots of people have, um, you know, grandfathers, grandmothers died from alcohol-related illnesses and um, it's addiction in general is pretty rife um, on that side, but uh, mum and dad split up when I was younger, so I wasn't actually raised by dad, but, um, yeah, genetics were definitely there. And um, I was raised by my mother who, um, you know, that side of the family have a whole other set of problems, um, mental illness and goodness knows what else. But, um, but you know, she she really tried and um, she was a single mum with my sister and I. Um, and I guess in desperation, she did her best, but, um, but it, it sort of made for a really unstable upbringing and, um... You know, it did a lot of moving around, and and she always desperately tried to find the right person, and and what have you, and um and that meant a lot of kind of yeah moving into different people's houses and becoming attached to people, and then you know detached and um yeah. So by the time, for example, I met my husband in my early twenties, I'd lived in about forty five different houses. So, right. yep. um you know there was no nothing was yeah um, no stability no stability. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, in saying that mum really did try, but you know, she, she yeah, um, I, I feel that my sister and I both, are, uh, you know, things that happened in our childhood, um, certainly contributed to being, um, a very unhappy, you know, child and, um, always lacked self-esteem and, and felt, um, very apologetic for living, you know, very sort of, yeah, constantly saying sorry, extremely shy, um just really quiet and just wondered how on earth I was going to do this thing they call living. You know, I just from an early age remember thinking, it's just so hard, I can't do it. And why can't I be, you know, like all of my friends or the other kids that I see of of my age? Why can't, I I didn't know then, but be happy, joyous and free. I just couldn't, you know. And yeah, it just felt quite young to already have those thoughts. And it felt overwhelming to look forward in my life thinking this is going to be a long haul, you know. So,
1: Yeah so how did you um how did you start what led you to drinking how did you start
0: okay um I started basically age fourteen, went to a party uh, it was a family member's party, so we didn 't have too many people watching over us like um my cousin was older, and yeah, they were all drinking i um I drank bundy rum, it was in queensland, and that 's what they drank and um yeah, and I knew sort of not to mix it with Coke or I really wanted that effect. I didn't want to have it watered down. I knew that it was going to give me something that, um, that, yeah, that I'd like or that I needed. And, um, and I wanted the full effect quickly and that's, that's what I did. I literally sculled it down straight and, um, had a, a water glass, like a chaser just to, you know, cool down that, that burn. But, um, I, I really felt the wonderful effects of alcohol, uh, immediately and, um from that day forward it became just what was at the forefront of my mind basically that that was um well they they say king alcohol it was everything i i, I wanted to go to parties i um i sort of survived or existed between drinks and everything was about um i mean i used to sort of wag school and I'd be under bridges with homeless people I'd think that you know I was being very sort of worldly and what yeah. have you but I was 14 and 15 years old you know um and I'd hang out yeah with all the kids that um were sort of wards of the state um so I guess uh, not really um, it wasn't the wrong <laughs> sort of kids I'm sure they were lovely people but I um actually went to private girls schools. Like that's, you know, my dad paid maintenance and I went to all these sort of really, really nice schools. So, um, I, I guess I was, my parents certainly expected more of me and I was, you know, um, as I said, just, just cutting school and, and hanging out with people that hadn't been to school in years and they were 16, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. so, and just, I guess, Um, I saw it as being rebellious and being a bit cool and, you know, in retrospect, obviously it wasn't. But I'd had that taste of alcohol and what it could do for me and, for me, it allowed me to feel normal or it allowed me to feel as good as the next person. And, you know, I mean, I didn't like drinking to excess in that, you know, I didn't like drinking till I dropped because I hate the dropping part, but I loved the drinking part, you know, and I could never... Uh, yeah because kind of gauge I couldn't get yeah that's right I always overshot the mark you know I really wanted to be three or four drinks in and and stay that way and it just that's not my story no (laughs) yeah
1: so. so one of the things that always interests me is that alcoholics on their first drink it just makes them feel terrific like it it solves all their problems yeah and they usually can't stop on the first drink was that your
0: experience It certainly was. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know at the time what I know today about alcoholism and that, that, that I have, you know, an abnormal response to alcohol or an allergy, an allergic reaction. And, um, you know, I completely identify with that now. And looking back to that very first drink, you know, I can see throughout the history of my drinking that that took place every time I drank, you know, I really had that, um, phenomenon of craving that kicks in that i cannot control and um you know i can try and think my way out of that and and try and you know intellectualize it and yeah try and be smart enough to to not let it take over um and that's what i thought i could do for a long time and it just it doesn't work that way you know i I have an abnormal response it's physiological there is nothing i can do about it so Yeah. yeah yeah
1: Mm. Yes, welcome.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, Michael, um, how about you? Um, you're a recovering alcoholic as well as a son of an alcoholic. Um, so, how did you? How did it all start for you?
2: Okay, yeah. So, I, yeah, my my father's a is re, recovered alcoholic He hasn't had a drink for forty years, um, and uh, my mother's a heavy drinker and still is, and. I know, they separated when I was about four and for me in our household I was the grown up at the age of eight or nine. My mother's really ill and uh and someone had to to look after stuff and I took that role in the house and um and looked after stuff and I don't know, my, my experience is that uh that I learned to lie at a really young age and um you know, I used to laugh. I, I used to go down the street to get smokes from my mum, and uh, and I couldn't come home without saying I'd been swooped by a bird or nearly hit by a car or making something up to make my life sound a whole heap more interesting than it was that I thought it was, and uh, and I knew it was wrong, and and for me, I, you know, I I, at, I went to primary school out in the eastern suburbs and uh, out of eastern suburbs, and I got a scholarship to go to school in in, in St Kilda, and. Um, it was a long travel to, to go there and it was the first time I, I dumped all my friends and, uh, and started again and uh, and and then spent the rest of that time hoping those people never met the, no, the next group of people yeah, and juggling that the, the lies, the, the fact that I, I've made up all these lies with one bunch of people and I've got a whole heap of other lies going with another bunch of people. I hope they never meet. And, uh, and that was just – and for me, what happened was at the age of 13, I discovered alcohol and, uh, and I drank a bottle of port and, uh, Orlando liqueur port and it came in a really cool tube. And, uh, and, um, and I am that kid who took a bottle of port to parties, you know, other kids drank West Coast coolers and I drank port yep. and cause I love the effect that, uh, that, that happens to me when I put that in me and, and, West Coast coolers didn't do it for me and beer didn't do it for me. It was just too gaseous. It was too, you got to drink much too much of it to get the effect and, um, yeah, I could afford a bottle of port, you know, it was $8 or something. Yeah. I could steal that much. And uh yeah, that that was just that was alcohol my first one you just talked about that that first feeling for for drinking and that I that's my experience. I put it in me and 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 that lasted for a long time. That first one went in me and and I go oh, like I've been you know breathing in for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. And then the second one goes in me and the, this warm feeling comes over in me and uh and the third one the world changes and uh, life 's good. Yeah. oh you bet Everybody yeah. else is different they, they, Everybody else is smarter, and they treat me better, and they 're smiling at me nicely at the supermarket and they 're certainly teaching my kids better when i 've had three drinks and you know if I could be three drinks drunk today i 'd be three drinks drunk right now,, yep. but i can 't be three drinks drunk I've i 've discovered that i can 't stop at three
1: yep. and, uh, yes that 's a, that's a real problem isn 't it <laughs> yeah, that, that is the problem actually the only problem. um so Chrissy um you got out of teenage you got out of a difficult teenage years Mm -hmm. so what how did things progress so
0: so yeah I basically um you know went to uni and um tried my best there but basically um the only only thing I remember from uni is, um, that the uni bar was closed on a Monday night. <laughs> like I remember that very clearly because I had to make alternative arrangements. Um, yeah. And, and I was at Menzies College in, um, Latrobe-Bundura for a year, but, um, you know, yeah, to this day, I don't know where a lot of the lecture halls are. I I went there, met new friends, uh, as Michael's saying, and just partied. And look, a lot of us did, you know, that, that was, that was the culture. And, um, but I always tended to take it. I had the biggest consequences. It was, it's always the way it been the way, um, came, came home and you know, that cause the first year clearly didn't work out. Um, and you know, I began, I was a barmaid and I barmaided for years. Um, wow. I loved it, loved yeah. either side of the bar. It didn't bother me. Um, cause I drank either side. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah. Um, I, I, was down in frankston and seaford and langwarren and what have you and um all of my all of the management in those hotels back in those days you know they'd they'd be more than happy for me to have a few shots um and and we'd kick on afterwards like often 24 hours i'd I'd do a you know eight 10 hour shift and then we'd party for 10 hours and that that was life um And uh, I, you know, met my, who was to be my husband and he was the first person to sort of mention that my alcohol consumption or the way that I drank was different, um, you know, or he thought was different to other people. And I'd sort of known that for a long time. But, um, but, yeah, I I do remember him clearly being the first person to, instead of laugh it off, to sort of say, no, I think there is actually a problem here. And that was well before the real problem kicked in, you know, so... Um, it, it just never changed. It's progressive. This illness, it gets worse. And you know, for me, that's exactly what happened. You know, I I got married and and we had children and we bought a house and I had a you know full time job and a good career and all the things, the external things that I thought that that I needed in life and that would change my drinking, my behaviour, and what I found was my drinking was getting worse and I just couldn't understand it, like, you know, especially after having children. It, it yep. made no sense to me because, you know, I I wanted... I knew that if I sort of had other human beings in my life that I loved enough that I'd live, you know, that I'd want to live for them and that's that's just wasn't the case, it, you know, yeah.
1: Um, so, yes, it's... Um, when other people notice you're drinking... Did that did that make you think about it?
0: Um, look, it it did, but really, I used to be quite uh, open and vocal about the fact um, because so many people had called me an alcoholic, I sort of, initially I thought that and no, 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 no. And then eventually I thought, well, actually, if I just ride with this and and say that, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, maybe they'll shut up, you know, and and that's exactly what I did. Like, so I sort of thought, sorry, um, I sort of thought, okay, well, I'll concede and yeah, I am. And what are you going to do about it? That kind of thing. And and as much as I had this horrendously low self-esteem, I also had these kind of delusions of grandeur where, where um, if my husband dared mention anything, i'd sort of think well you know i'm i'm so much better than you anyway like how dare you like um and and like i said yeah what are you going to do about it and i i i felt so um uncomfortable myself that i basically i wanted to make everybody else around me feel as uncomfortable so that you know um I don't know. I guess that they. It's called felt, transferring
1: the guilt, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah, pretty much, pretty
0: much that they felt privileged to be in my company, yeah. you know. And I mean, what a horrendous sort of place place to live in. And um, yeah, but so so the drinking got worse. Um, you know, it, I had um, three children. After the first child, I um, um, the drinking basically got out of control again. Um, I actually um became Addicted to prescription drugs as well, OxyContin. Goodness. Um, yeah. So we had a dual issue going on there for a while. I, I mean, I'll do anything to get out of my head, basically. And yep. because I had one child um, at this stage, so I'd finally become a mother. I thought it was a lot more socially acceptable to be a prescription addict, <laughs> pill addict, than um, than you know. But eventually, yeah, the the alcohol sort of snuck back in. And um, and my husband said, you know what, you don't drink when you're pregnant. Um, so why don't we try this again? We'll, we'll go for child number two, stop drinking as you, you know, did in pregnancy and this time don't start it again. And we're like, yep, cool. And honestly, that was, that was the whole plan. Yeah. Yeah. That was (laughs) the impetus for having another child. And, um, and then we found out, um, we were having twins and I remember looking up at the sky just thinking, (laughs) well, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, um, and, and I thought to myself, you know, this will be the end of me. And, um, and I often say it was, it was the end of my drinking and, you know, so that's a beautiful thing. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: um, Michael. So, post uni, what happened?
2: Oh, uh, I did what other grown-ups do. I got married, oh, and uh, yeah. I thought that would change me. And I met a woman who said that she liked me, and that was enough. And I just held on for dear life. And uh, and, and actually, she she would say that she she saved me in the gutters of Fitzroy and uh, of, of Brunswick Street, and uh, and rescued me from those gutters. And she was going to change me. And uh and so along the way I went overseas actually, I went overseas and spent a lot of money of her redundancy from work and and travelled with no responsibility, actually, no response and drank my way overseas for nine or ten months, just drank and drugged my way through Europe with no didn't have to drive, didn't have to do anything and it was a killer. Actually really yeah. just knocked me about and came back and I was unemployable and she got me a job and uh and we had children, and I thought that would change me because, yeah, I just people didn't tell me that I shouldn't drink so much. They just told me that I, the people who knew me just said you shouldn't drink, and, uh, yeah, and so it wasn't
1: a matter of an amount. It no, much. it was never
2: a matter of amount of because they'd never seen me drink and have a couple. No one I knew saw that happen. I don't remember it happening because my experience, my my thing. I have a friend who has a a, a regular every cup day. He has an event. And uh, and if I go to that event and I've only taken one bottle with me, and uh, and yeah. I get there and they're thinking that maybe they're going to share two bottles between five, I just don't drink. Yeah. You know, rather than knowing that I, there's never going to be enough none. for me, I just yeah. would have none, and uh, and then I'm miserable. Yeah. Um. And extra miserable. it's extra miserable. So um. So yeah. So I got, uh, said I had children, and I just got old. I got. I, grew apart from my wife um, she took on the responsibility she changed from being my wife to being a parent and uh, and she grew to have three children in the house my two daughters and me and um, and so were you
1: drinking every day
2: you bet yeah, yeah. I was, and I drank drove every day I drove from yeah. from my job in you know it was it was about a 45 minute drive home maybe an hour and that was about half a bottle of vodka. And um, and my skill was being able to pour it into a travel mug that already had ice and cordial in it wow. um, and roll a cigarette and not spill a drop <laughs> and uh, and not get pulled over and not kill anyone and and not have all these things that could happen, you know, uh, happen. But um, And then I'd get home and I'd come in the door and, and my children wouldn't know who was coming home. No. They didn't know whether what sort of man was going to come in the door, whether it was a guilty man who was going to shower them with gifts or a... Um, a, a a miserable man who was going to pick the hell out of everything they'd done and, and never been able to achieve anything that I'd, any standard that I would have set in my head before I got home. So they, mm. yeah, there was no consistency for them. And my, you know, when I finished drinking, my kids were 11 and eight, my girls were 11 and eight and, uh, and they
1: were scared of me. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good way to be, is it? No, mm.
2: no, no. I was 105 kilos and my skin were falling off me with psoriasis and, you know, I couldn't stop drinking. I just mm. and every night I would get in the car and i 'd come home I'd pull the car up in the driveway, and my outside of my life looked really good. I had two cars in a garage and a big mortgage and a house in a, in the burbs and a job that paid me a fair bit of money and um and and a family didn 't talk to me and no friends and and I was lonely and miserable
1: and and i couldn 't stop drinking mm. yes it doesn 't sound like a a good way to live no, no. Mm. uh well let 's take a short break. If you care for a
0: friend or someone in your family with disability, a medical condition, or who is elderly, Carer Gateway can help you get free support. Carer Gateway has lots of services to help carers. There's counseling, financial and peer support, and online courses that you can do at your own pace. They also have respite services to help you look after the person you care for while you take a break. Call Carer Gateway on 1 800 422
1: 737 or visit the website careagateway.gov.au. A 3CR
3: supporter.
0: They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Maraban. Fascism's on the march, and we say,
3: yeah,
2: nah. Yena Pasaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Ultaro, and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, starting January 16, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry
3: blighters. No, no, no. Brothers, we don't need that. Brothers,
1: ah, This is a living free show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, If you'd like to listen to any of our Living Free podcasts, uh, then you can check them out on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree. Uh, If you'd like to send us a message, you can contact us via 3CR on 03 9419 8377, or you can email us at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. Now today we've got uh, Chrissy and Michael with us from AA, and we're talking about recovering from alcoholism and how AA helps to helps do that um Chrissy coming what what made what brought you to think that you needed to stop drinking or you need or you needed to do something about your drinking what was the what was the trigger
0: um I think I think the real um well I, I I hear that the hope for Sort of lots of alcoholics is that one day it's going to get better, you know, um, and that one day I'll I'll get a handle on this and um, um, and you know I, I'd sort of achieved most of what I wanted to achieve and had most of the things I thought were important in life and and yet it was getting worse as I was saying so. Um, I I had my twin boys and a little girl and I was at home um, taking care of them, sort of basically a stay-at-home mum. And my drinking had become a a daily sort of thing rather than just nightly, which was before having kids. um, The drinks had been sneaking into sort of early afternoon and lunchtime. And then eventually because I was getting up for night feeds with the boys a few times a night, um, honestly, 24 hours rolled in (laughs) to it was sort of day, night, whatever and essentially I was drinking around the clock and and um you know even I I knew that my drinking had progressed to a stage where um even if I sort of wanted to to let up I couldn't um so yeah I was getting up for night feeds and um I'd put their bottles in the microwave and I'd find that I had to sort of slam down a glass of champagne before a 40 minute feed because I was shaking and I felt really physically unwell and um and because I'd had a bit of a, a nursing background, um, I knew that these were sort of the effects of, of alcoholism or alcohol abuse of, for sure. Um, and, an addiction basically. Um, so yeah, I, my liver was sore and my tongue was swollen and I had, um, pins and needles in my hands and feet and i became really really frightened suddenly you know I had these beautiful kids and um and a lovely husband and what have you and for the first time ever I really knew that to drink might actually mean to die you know and so Mm. I I had sort of this self-imposed ultimatum I knew deep down that um that to continue yeah drinking was really dangerous and that I was going to have to look at um, at getting some help um, and really nothing else would, you know, I'd even consider stopping drinking for aside from, I guess, the possibility of losing my life, you know, and, and that's what it came down to. So, um, so yeah, I, I rang around a whole lot of rehabs one late one night or early one morning, not quite sure, um, just in the desperate hope that someone would help me, you know, for what I initially thought would be seven days, just, you know, just, just detox, detox me for seven yeah. days, you know, and, and I'll go back to drinking normally, <laughs> which, you know, um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's not exactly what happened. The first phone call was from a 28-day rehab, Malvern, um, and they were just amazing and, and I lied, as Michael mentioned before. Like, I just... I'd become a really good liar over over my lifetime, and um, yeah, told them I drank half as much as I did drink, and they said that I that I still really needed to be there. So, <laughs> so I knew that you know, um, yeah, it that, was that serious. It was yeah. serious, and you know, it was Christmas two thousand and ten, and and I thought, and once I finally got into the rehab. Um, uh, I said to the head doctor, look, you know, it's Christmas time. I've got three young kids. It's a really bad time of year to be, you know, in a place like this. Maybe I've made the wrong decision. Maybe I'll just, you know, come back next year. And um, and he said, Chrissy, you won't see Christmas in July. And something I, I sort of, I just knew he was, wasn't lying. I knew that that was right, that mm. I was really going to be running the gauntlet and I wasn't prepared to... Yeah, to lose my life. So I thought I'm going to have to give this a crack and yep. did.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So did you think you'd ever stop forever?
0: No. And actually in that same meeting with the head doctor, I said, please, you can tell me anything you like. You, you know, fair enough. Call me an alcoholic. Call me anything you like. But just don't tell me that I I have to drop, stop drinking forever. And he said, I'll just tell you that you can never safely drink again. And I'm like, right. Okay. <laughs> and then he said, but but more than that, he said, look, just for today, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, it's more palatable. Uh, yeah, exactly. And just for today, I thought, yeah, well, you know, maybe, okay, yeah. um, yeah. So, but it was interesting because uh, I sort of said, well, how do you know I'm an alcoholic? And he said, well, first of all, I'm an alcoholic, wow. and that blew my mind. Like, honestly, I couldn't reconcile that in my head because I'd known. All I knew about, all I thought I knew about alcoholics was, you know, as you hear all the time that they're the, you know, lay down low bottom drunks that are in the gutters with the paper bag. Like that's, you know, that is definitely what stopped me getting help for so long because, I couldn't understand that I wasn't at that level and yet, you know, um, I still had this massive problem. But I'd never met, as far as I was concerned or knew, uh, a recovering alcoholic ever. And yeah. I'd, as I said, come came from a family where, you know, people die from alcoholism... <sighs> Uh, like yearly in my family, and yet no one had ever actually got sober and said, "Hey, there is a solution." Um, yeah.
1: It's amazing. So, isn't it?
0: yeah. yeah, really yeah. incredible. So, I'm yeah. looking at this person who, who just looked quite normal and healthy and functioning, and he said that he was an alcoholic, and yeah, that that really sparked my curiosity. I thought, well, there might be something in this. Let's <laughs> let's see. Yeah.
1: Okay, um, Michael, um, what drove you to consider stopping?
2: Yeah, uh, I guess um, I, I just couldn't stop, and and I wanted to die, and I just I went to a doctor's actually. I just went to a doctor's and I said I had a problem with drinking, and um, and I was a little bit depressed, and um, and he he recommended I go and see a drug and alcohol counsellor, and I went, whoa, it's not that bad, and then I went and saw the drug and alcohol counsellor, and that she suggested that I go to a rehab, and I went, oh really, and and about a week and I was, on, I was on holidays from work and, you know, my head was I've had just had two weeks off work. I'm about to go back to work and then I'm going to go into rehab. I'll get sacked da, 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 and it was all these consequences that I'm thinking it out in advance and and what happened was I got a phone call a week later and, and I hadn't had a drink for probably 10 days at that stage and, and I was back at work and I just – I got accepted into a rehab and whilst I was at the rehab, you know, I – I got told about Alcoholics Anonymous and I and I was asked if I wanted to go to a meeting and uh and I was able to walk up to a meeting on a on a Tuesday night that was sort of five minutes up the road from the rehab and uh and it was dull and it was boring and there was you know, it was an old guy at the door who shook my hand and welcomed me in and there were six people there and it was a dingy dark hall and two people were asleep in the back row on a couch and um <laughs> and and, and and people shared at the meeting. You know, they shared they shared their experience of drinking and fighting, and drinking and crashing cars, and drinking and having the police involved. and And I had, didn't have any of that. That wasn't my that wasn't my life at all. Um, you know, if you weren't drinking in my car and you weren't drinking in my garage, you weren't drinking with me. There was just nothing social about my drinking. And um and but but someone got up and they they at the an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and they talked about uh, what they were like what they felt like when they were sober. And they talked about how miserable and lonely and how they couldn't sit with themselves and the fact that they were having conversations with themselves in the car. And I really got that with the driving to work and talking to someone who wasn't sitting next to me in the front seat. And if they say this, Mm. then I'm going to say that. And then, and and when someone shared that, I went, oh, my God, that's exactly the way I think. And they talked about alcohol being the solution for their problems because I really didn't see alcohol to be the problem. I really I really identify with the fact that alcohol is the solution for the problems that i 've got and um, and then so yeah i I felt like I was at home i I walked into a meeting and uh, and there was people who were talking in a language that I had never heard before, and I got it. It was the first time I think people talk about you know that that lesson at school where they handed out the, the guidelines to how to fit in in life yeah. and I happened to be away that day I didn't yeah. get it and uh and as I was sitting there there was people who identified told talked about how they drank in a particular way and which I really did sort of go yeah that's the way I drank the consequences of my drinking were different to theirs but they definitely once they start they can't stop but they had all these living problems as well and they'd somehow they they were getting over them. And I, and I, that's really what I was looking for. I was looking for a way to live life, and be happy because I was just miserable.
1: Yeah. So what was your family doing at this point? How were uh, they coping with you?
2: They were just keeping away. I think uh, you know I, I was married seventeen years, and uh, at that stage, and uh, my daughters were eleven and eight, and the. I think they they were just shocked. There was no consistency in my house. They had no idea what sort of father or husband was going to show up um, day in, day out. I think they were elated um, that that I'd made a decision to stop drinking. And in early days, at the time when I went to rehab, I think that was inconvenient, but that was – that but was they were better, happy. Than, better, was better than it was better than the the option, the other option, which was that I was still drinking, and I think it happened right on my daughter's birthday, and she wasn't happy about that uh, My wife was particularly sick that 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 day, and she someone else had to take me to the rehab and I think that but when I stopped drinking. You know I, I expected that I would stop drinking and everything would get rosy and the life would get better, and that my wife would love me you know the way I needed to be loved, and that my kids would appreciate me much more and and uh, and that you know that, that they would see what a great bloke I am and and really, I was just going through a rough trot, and really the problem was the alcohol and that wasn't what happened. What happened was they went, "God, you're so angry, you're so frustrated. Can't you sit still." Yeah. You know, mm. Why are you going to all these meetings? Why aren't you coming home? Why, why aren't you changing? It was really. You know, now I was. Uh, you know, yeah, my, my, I think that uh, they were a bit shocked. They were happy for the fact that I stopped drinking. And now they just wanted to see what what I was going to do next.
1: Yeah. So things got worse instead of better.
2: Oh, you bet. My my experience is that uh, that at three months without having a drink and doing nothing else except going to meetings of alcoholics anonymous is that uh, that I want to jump off a bridge. Uh, with a book in my hand, with a big book in my hand of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous because I know what happens when I drink. When I drink, it gets out of control and I can't stop. But my other alternative is I know what it's like to be sober and that's really uncomfortable. And yep. so then I've got to make a decision between not drinking and drinking which one's more painful
3: yep.
2: and, uh, and, and suicide looks like an, an attractive alternative. And, uh, and that's the best thinking I can come up with is that I can't drink, so I'll die. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that that, that puts, you under how selfish is that?
1: Yep. Uh, Let's take another break. Every June for the last few decades, 3CR has run a radiothon during June to raise much-needed funds to enable us to stay on air for another year. Because of the coronavirus restrictions, we aren't able to run our usual radiothon. Instead, we have opted for a 3CR station appeal to help keep us going during these difficult times. We hope that you value Living Free Show and would be willing to provide financial support to keep us on air at 3CR. We're all about supporting community change and that aligns with Living Free Show as well. We're about assisting gamblers, drug and food addicts, alcoholics and their families through awareness of 12-step recovery programs. Remember, your support will help keep Living Free's message of hope on the airwaves for another year, so please donate generously before 30th of June and you'll receive a tax deduction for any amount over $2. Throughout the month of June, 3CR is running a station appeal.
3: We're asking you, the listener, to donate to keep the station going. 3CR relies on the support of our listeners, but we know that many of you are doing it hard. So if you can't, we get it.
1: But if you can, head to 3cr.org.au to make your tax-deductible donation to the 3CR station appeal. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. We're talking with Chrissy and Michael about alcoholism and recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Chrissy, so you got into AA, yeah. And how did um, how did what what did your family think about you seeking help?
0: Um, look. Oh, I guess my, it was your husband. Yeah, yeah. my yeah. husband was thrilled. Um and you know, we I was lucky enough to be in a position where it was still, you know, sort of a team effort and, and I understand that, that that's not everyone's story by the time they get to AA but yeah, but um yeah, I am grateful that at at that point in time I mean he was just absolutely thrilled. my, my mum's funnily enough had you know, she was or oh, like forever had called me an alcoholic from very early days saying you're just like your father and yada yada. Uh, and then the moment I turned around and said, actually, I think I am an alcoholic and I'm going into a rehab. She's like, well, don't you think that's a bit extreme? <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> so it's funny how people can, it, particularly, uh, I guess, for a mum, I, I can understand her you know, sort of ignorance. She's not to know. Um, she wasn't to know, like my condition. She's certainly very, very different um, today. But, uh, I, you know, she she found that a bit offensive. And you know, um, uh, but that, yeah, that wasn't the point. For my immediate family, my husband and my kids, it was an absolute godsend and a blessing. You know, it just. I was introduced to, to AA via the rehab. Um, I didn't know that AA existed before the rehab or I thought, you know, it was in the US. So so when the doctors said, you know, you're going to your first meeting, again, I mean, I just, I couldn't get my head around it. And and it was at Malvern, um, the meeting on a Tuesday night. And I went in there and, you know, literally knew immediately that I was in the right place. The right place I yeah. really did. Yeah. I, and I was... Gobsmacked. Like, I just thought, oh my goodness, N- not only am I a true alcoholic, but there is a solution, you know? And yeah. so all of these different emotions of sort of relief and, um, And, you know, hope and, but then a bit of guilt and remorse and just, you just, well, I was overwhelmed with, with emotion and, and I had numbed emotion of any description for a long time. So it's, it's so, it was full on and, and I needed every second of that 28 days away from life's responsibilities, you know, um, just, yeah, just to cope with with what had happened and, and you know, what, what my future was to hold. But at least, you know, I had some hope and I had something to look forward to and so did my family. So, yep. yeah, um, I was told to get to 90 meetings in 90 days and I did that. Um, and, you know, look, I, I've found it hasn't, you know, been an easy road, obviously, you know, I've got to put a lot of action in and I can, I'm pretty good at, um, in meetings, like talking the talk now, if you sort of hang around long enough, you can really just, yeah, talk the talk. But there's been times when, um, things, things haven't sort of been traveling that well, but, um, but thankfully I've got, you know, a lot of friends and, and a sponsor in AA now who really do keep me on track. And, and I, I, sounds corny, but I owe my life to AA. I really do. And for that reason, I am not just happy to give back, but, um, but it really, it fills me up to, to give back and to carry the message and to help others. It, you know, I wake up every morning with that enthusiasm and think, great. Yeah. You know, and at night it means I can help other girls who have been in my position. And you know, um, we just have chats, and it's there's nothing better than watching somebody else come out the other side. You know, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic, so,
1: isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you must be finding too. That there's a lot more women in AA, particularly young women in AA today, than there was ten years ago. From yeah,
0: yeah, Northern. I've heard. Um, I mean, you know, I sort of personally wasn't here 10 years ago, but, uh, yeah, definitely, I mean, you know, from when AA certainly first started, there were very few women, um, but now... Yeah, there's there's also um, not so much like you get the high-bottom drunks in that, you know, we don't have to necessarily have lost everything um, to walk into AA. So you do yeah. get um, people that have still got jobs and, uh, yeah, husbands or wives or whatever, relationships, kids, all the rest of it. Some people have lost a lot. You know, there's different stories everywhere, but not everyone. I think when AA first started, they were really, really um, – yeah frankly low bottom drunks you know yeah. um and and that kind of um oh, what's the word that that baseline has definitely risen so you get people who are still functioning in society but internally yeah have ceased to function and that was me so yeah, yeah. yeah. I think a
1: lot a lot a lot more younger people are coming in too yeah definitely yeah. definitely earlier th- earlier in their drinking earlier in their drinking, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. so yeah. they get to stop before a whole lot of yets you know take place, and um that's really exciting actually, like seeing how many you know people in in their twenties and um even late teens have seen um and certainly their thirties like yeah, younger people are coming in and and getting sober and living sober and just being really, really like living just full, happy, awesome lives. Um, yeah. And not having to leave it until the death knock basically. So, yeah. And that's really good. And you know, there's, there's groups around, um, that are just for sort of younger people and, you know, um, and that's cool. And, and, I just love, I love the social life of AA now. We've got a trivia night that coming up and, yep. you know, can't wait. Like, it's, yep. it's just a whole lot of fun and, and the focus is no longer alcohol and um, the focus is, is on people. And I never thought I'd enjoy human beings and, yeah, funnily enough, I do. Like, it's, yeah, they're yep. great. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so Michael said before that, you know, people annoyed him and I think that's – people get in the way of drinking and I think that's that's one of the primary annoyances. So, Michael, what happened when you got into AA? How did it change your your view of life?
2: Oh uh, yeah, I discovered I discovered um, once I'd stopped drinking that uh, I was really just a, a 13-year-old boy in the body of a 41-year-old man, and uh, and I had no life living skills. You know, I had some street smarts that had got me through and managed to, to survive to being forty one and 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 I just but I didn't have any skills to go forward. And so I'd asked for help so and that was unusual for me, um, to, to ask for help. I, I really believed that your job worth doing you did yourself and no one else could be trusted. Yep. And, <clears throat> and I, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I found that when I asked for help people were happy to give it. And that just astounded me, um, that people were so selfless. And and the first person I asked for help Whenever I would ask him a question, he would say to me, What would a grown up do? And, and I go, I don't know. Surprisingly, well, you'd never thought of I'd that. I'd never thought of that, 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 that <laughs> was the case. And, and so, so, what I found was, you know, I got told, I got told that, that it was a spiritual program, the yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous, a spiritual program, and I had no idea what that looked like. And so, I thought that that meant sitting with my legs crossed and my arms out and going, Om. Um. <laughs> and, uh, and, and what someone suggested to me was, Why don't you try being honest? That's an honest action. I go, That's a spiritual action. I go, really? I'd never tried that. in any time in my life that, that honesty was okay, that it would be enough. And why don't you just try and do what you say you're going to do? Like, why don't you tell your kids where you're going to be and actually show up? And there was some really basic stuff. <laughs> hard it, stuff. But, it is, but, but it had been. It would always been hard. I'd never been able to do it. Yeah. I'd always, I was always gonna. Mm. I was gonna be this. I was gonna do that. And so I just started doing... And that was so. I discovered that Alcoholics Anonymous offers a program of recovery, which is all about actions that I take. Because no one can judge me on my thinking; they can't see inside my head. And so, I might have the best intentions in the world, but I was never able to live up to those intentions. And I and I drank on that and uh, that inability to live up to my intentions. And so I started to put in some, to do some things that, um, you know, Christy talked about low self-esteem. So I had to do some esteemable acts to build my self-esteem. And and Alcoholics Anonymous showed me how to do that and someone else helped me to do that. Because if that was just the solution, I would have thought of that years ago if I had the the ability just to do that. So I had to have somebody else show me. And being teachable certainly isn't my special skill yeah and uh and so i had to be in a place where i could do i was willing to go whatever it takes and and that's been my experience is that i i fight they wouldn't call it a journey of recovery if i just followed a path i no. do what i'm told yeah. i know what happens I, I get to see i get to see the results of it because i watch other people AA is just a big show and tell operation someone stands up at the front of a meeting and they say it used to be like this and this is what happened and this is what it's like now and i go yeah, and I'm sitting there nodding through the meeting. Going, you bet, you bet, yeah. you bet. I'm just like that, yeah. and so it's a big show and tell, and I get to see the results, and so I know the results are on on offer, but I still want to take my own path. Just let me add a little bit of authorship to it, and do it my way a little bit. And whenever that happens, I have an experience. I learn something, and I found that AA is a really safe place to learn those things because I'm learning life skills. It's been yeah, I've, I'm you know, I'm a full participant in my own life now. Mm-hmm. I, I I have. My daughters are now twenty and seventeen, and uh, and you know they. I spent they were in my life enough through their teen years to drive me insane. Yeah, yeah. how lucky am I might have teenage daughters that drive me insane because yeah. that certainly wasn't on the cards when I was drinking, and uh, and now I'm you know I'm, I I do whatever I can to help them. I help other people in Alcoholics Anonymous when I get an opportunity. I have a full life. I'm in a relationship with another human being, which I never thought possible that actually cares about me, and i care about her. it's it's
1: uh, good. shocking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. so your kids so you mentioned that they're in our yeah, they well
2: they they went they, they're not doing it at the moment. Yeah. but yeah, they they did. we we had a couple of uh huge, we had a couple of big things happen in our lives and uh, uh for my youngest daughter and um and and i knew that they were suffering from the results of, of, of my alcoholism. So the way I think and my lack of parenting skills and a few other things. And and so I took them to a an alertine meeting and they identified with the recovery yeah. programme of the fact that they're affected by someone who's drink someone else's drinking. And yeah, and then and they got you know, we talked about it earlier, but before the, today, but that about you know they, they when they go there, I am the alcoholic in their life, the drinker in their life, and they don't talk about my drinking. They talk about what I was like when in my first year of not drinking, right. what a nutcase yeah. I was. And yeah, uh, yeah but they, they're getting a great. They learn a lot of self skills, their life skills for themselves about asking for help, trusting others, yeah. and that's been a really good outcome for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think growing up in an alcoholic situation, you learn a lot of survival skills. And they've got to be converted into life skills. The survival skills don't go well in social situations. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, not, they're not compatible, basically. So, yeah, so having having kids who, can, who understand that their parent is sick and is just not a willful drinker is really important because it, you get a bit of empathy and you think, yeah, man, imagine if that was me. Imagine if I couldn't stop drinking. And I think that was the thing that happened to me when I went to my first AA meeting. And I sat there not knowing anything about alcoholism and heard these AAs talk about what it's like to be an alcoholic and to be able to look out through the alcoholic eyes and see the damage you're causing and not being able to do anything to stop it. And I got a lot of empathy for my dad at that point, just seeing that that's happening and the fact that maybe he wasn't willfully trying to wreck our lives, which is really what we thought, yeah. Mm. Um, if anybody would like to know more about AA or Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them on 1300 three hundred triple two triple two, or go online at aa.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Chrissy and Michael for coming in today.
0: You're very welcome. Thanks for having yeah. us. Yes, Mr. Sasha. Um
1: And also for sharing your AA recovery experience. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us next week. Stay tuned now for a program called Alternative... And to take us out, we've got a song called Spirit Princess, and it's by Zucchini Clan.
3: So 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay.
1: Throughout June, we're running a station appeal.
3: We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community owned and radical.
1: Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au